Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Welcome, Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5, Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? Hold on. They even have counter offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your Hello? Friends. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their okay. happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Like Benders is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Benders, bar and grill. Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips, don't know anything about it, sorry. <laughs> All on my limited view. Yes, every Tuesday from 12 to 2. Uh, oh, you can if you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah, and Google Play. And Stitcher. iTunes, oh, you already said that. TuneIn Radio. Uh, Stitcher, you said that. Spotify. Oh, my God, there's just so many. And Overcast. Um, yes, you can also find us on social media. M as in Mary, L as in Larry, P as in Peter podcast mov podcast is our handle 
until next time, I hope you're enjoying your view. Yes. Bye. Bye. That kind of sucked balls. Hello? Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my Hi. Rare um, she can hear me, but I can't hear her. Cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's comedy clubhouse. And I have the headphones hooked up. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic books the best of San Francisco. Oh, bring up Channel 4. I mean, where it says Mike 4? Mike 4? They have a fun time at Pamtastic deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for your five dollars. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy here. So to laugh it off. Okay, I brought down channel three. I brought up channel four. She can hear me. Yeah. Hello? Hi. Hello? Hello? Hello, hello, hello. Lisa? No. Yeah, I'm, I can't, no. Hello, hi. I think my microphone, I think my microphone, well, maybe I'll, I'll do the big microphone, the regular microphone. Hello? Hi. Hi. She, Okay. Two up. She can hear me. Okay. She can hear me. I'm pressing record. All right. Bye. I can hear you. Hi, Lisa. Hi. I can't can see you, but I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I, I'm trying to turn my camera on, but I can't see. But I could take it. I could log out again and turn it on if you want me to. Um, that's, I can't that's okay. Log it on. Shall I do that? If you can, that would be great. I would love to just see you. That would be great. Even though okay. it doesn't record in video. But it doesn't. Okay, fine. Yeah, it's nice to see. Okay, hang on a second. Okay, I can't see you yet. Hi. Hi, are you on yet? I'm going.
Hi, everyone. This is Sima Lieberman, The Inclusionist, with Everyday Conversations on Race, and we are getting ready to get started. Hi there. Hi. Now, I... my video isn't working because... No, I... mine isn't. <laughs> oh, well. Well, we've seen each other's pictures, so I'm going to press record. And I don't know why this old picture from like a... Busy... No, it's not that old. For about like four years ago, it just popped up. Let me... It's very nice. Oh, ha, 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 I don't well, I know. I, because it's such a shame I can't put my camera on, but I went back and it wouldn't, it, it was, the option was sort of faded out, if you know what I mean. I'm clicking on it now, but, you know, because down the, see, down the bottom of your little thing, you've got a, a camera. Yeah, mine is on, but for some reason. On. Mine is off, and if I click on it to... Hi everyone, this is Sima Lieberman, The Inclusionist, and we are just about to get started. We are, I'm, my guest is from the UK, and we are working on technology right now. Hi. Hi. Uh, let's, sorry, let's leave it, because otherwise it's... Uh... That's okay. We'll do we'll do we'll do a face we'll do a FaceTime video ourselves later. Okay, yes, absolutely. And we won't be, so we just won't so they won't record the face. I'm going to press record and then I'm going to get started. Um, I'm going to ask you about I want to I'm going to ask you about your podcast and the subjects that you mentioned, okay? Okay, great. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I just want to say thank you so much. Sorry about the international okay. mix-up. Not the first Sorry, time. Uh, yeah. Yes, no, not the first time. <laughs> okay. All right. Hi, everyone. This is Sima Lieberman, The Inclusionist, with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People, where we bring people together to have open cross-conversations on race and bring race to the people. If you've ever wanted to talk about race but were afraid of saying the wrong thing or not being heard and trivialized, then this podcast is for you. My next guest is an acclaimed journalist from the UK. She's worked with the BBC and other news outlets and was the first female presenter on national radio Talk Sport. She's been in, in the Telegraph, the Independent, the Times, the Daily, the Daily, Mall, Daily Mail, National Geography Traveler, and is a regular expert guest on national radio and television. Her Big Travel podcast explores the life stories of well-known journalists, politicians, celebrities, and industry leaders who travel and has thousands of listeners worldwide, including 45 of the United 45 states in the US. I don't know why she doesn't have 52, but we'll have to make that happen. She is half Indian, Fijian, half British, and grew up in Spain. I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest, Lisa Francesca Nan. Hi Lisa, how are you doing today? Hello, thank you very much for having me on the show. Although I guess it's evening where you are. It is, yes, it is evening, and I'm getting ready to tuck my two small children into bed. That's my next plan after this. How old are your kids? They, I have two little boys. They are six and four, and they are very lively and not very keen on bedtime, I have to say. Oh, you have little ones. I have a 24-year-old, but I remember those days. Yeah, they're hard. They're, they're hard. they're hard, but a lot of fun, I think. A lot of good fun as well. And I'm here at Mutiny Radio, recording from the radio station. And if anybody is listening that wants to get have a podcast, this is a great place to contact and a great place to record. 
So you said that, oh, first of all, is there anything else that you would like to add? Because we are going to talk about your podcast right now. Uh, no, absolutely not, no. Okay. Now, you said that travel combats prejudice. Can you say more about that? I really think that travel is one of the biggest ways that we can help combat prejudice, mainly because, you know, you go to... I remember my very first time when I went somewhere really, really foreign feeling, and that was Thailand. And within about an hour of arriving, I was walking down the main road behind a, co a coconut vendor that was selling coconuts next to an elephant. And it was just all these crazy sights and sounds and smells and all these very crazy things going on. But actually, after I was there for a while, you realize that people are people the world over. And it is travel, which makes you realize that no matter what color, what creed, what religion, where you are in the world, people are mainly concerned with getting by, with having a nice life, with feeding their family, feeding themselves, you know, making sure they have enough food and water, all the necessities and entertainment, if that's hopefully on offer. And I think travel is something that really broadens the mind in that way and makes you just realize that we're all the same and we all essentially want the same things. Well, I think that's an important point, that travel does make a difference. I do a lot of work in cultural intelligence. So I teach people how to create relationships and work effectively with people, to work effectively with anybody who's different than them in any way. And what I found, and that you also have to have the right mindset. Because I know here in the US, I have met people who tell me that they have been all over the world, but they spend almost all their time going to tourist things. They spend almost all their time being around other people from the US, because that's where they feel comfortable. And they look at people with the same ethnocentric or even racist views. What do you think? Have you seen that too? Yeah, I think that there's always going to be those people, whether they're at home or abroad. I mean, you have to hope that the people who do have the urge to travel and to experience far off uh, cultures and, and places and food and activities, you have to hope that those people will be the people that want to seek out, you know, that are open-minded and willing to change their opinions and willing to try and get in with the locals and experience the local lifestyle and not just sort of stay in their gilded for four seasons. Not that there's anything wrong with the four seasons. I like them myself. Yeah, me too. You know, that they're not just going to stay in their own little gilded cages and be very protected from the people there. Because that's not traveling. That's not absorbing what you're, you know, that that, that, that other, as it were. Um, but people can stay at home. And, you know, particularly when I talk about, like, the travel in the United States, um, I know there's some sort of ridiculous, well, it feels ridiculous to us over here in Europe, statistic about something like, 40% of people not having passports. I, I think it's gone down now, but... I, mean, I don't know. I, know. I don't know, but I, I do really understand why that is the case, because you've got so many varied landscapes and people and, you know, from deserts to snow to sea to shining sea, as it were, that I can understand why people don't have the urge to travel and go out and, and meet other people. And the people, of course, people are different, you know, from one state to the other, from east coast to west. However, when you travel abroad and you really get the sense that you are the other person there, you are the person that's different, that is when you really start to, ch to challenge your, your prejudices.
Well, I think you're very generous um, with thinking, saying, and it's very nice of you to say that because there's so much to do in the United States, that might be one reason people don't have passports. I think there's another reason which, well, two reasons. One is, or three reasons, actually. One, things aren't as close. Like I know, like in, it's in Europe, um, different countries are closer. It's, easy to get to, it's easier to get to those countries. It's less expensive. However, there's also, and this is not everybody in the United States, so please, all listeners, don't think I'm saying everyone, but I'm sure everybody knows at least one person like this. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe you work with them. They really don't care about other people. And they listen to stereotypes, and they believe those stereotypes, and then they get really afraid. So, but when they do go and when they do interact, I think that really makes a huge difference. We have, we have those people too. And, um, you know, maybe because we are such a small island here and we are so connected to Europe, where we are at the moment, uh, politically <laughs> as well as geographically for the next 70 odd days at least. Um, you know, yeah, maybe we have that, you know, sort of more experience. And we've always been. Well, like America, really, we've always been a country of immigrants, whether there are people that have very closed minds and can't see that. But we have always, we, you know, we've thrived on immigration. Our whole empire was built on immigration and acquiring, you know, for whatever nefarious reasons, other countries, you know. So these are things that I think have been very positive to, to both the US and the UK. And of course, you're going to get those people who are very closed minded to things. And one can only hope that you know, with the increased um, ease of travel, you know, prices are very cheap for travel these days comparatively to say 20 or 30 years ago. They haven't really risen in real terms and people, more and more people are traveling the world over and also coming to our countries as well. You know, travel, incoming travel from China and other Asian countries is, is a huge thing at the moment. I think one can only hope that exposure to these different people, whether they're just coming into your hometown or, or you're going into theirs will, will help us all, you Know, realize that we are all very similar and we all you know have the we all bleed the same we all want the same things by and large well i love the uk so anytime <laughs> anybody invites me i like to go over there i've been there in the winter i've been in there in the summer haven't been there in the spring so spring's coming up i'll have to figure that out now and I would love if you, because you're talking about how travel can help break down tr prejudices. Can you tell us something about, talk about your uh, podcast? Because it sounds very exciting. It's a, I've been a travel journalist on TV and radio and also a writer for the last 15 years. Um, and it was just a, I started it last February, so it's coming up for a year. It was just a natural step for me to combine my travel. And I've always made a lot of travel, travel films as well for the national press online. It was just a natural stage to combine my, my travel and my radio experience. So because I've been in the industry and I've been a journalist for, uh, for quite a long time, I've got some very good contacts. So on the big travel podcast, I explore the lives of well-known, many well-known people, politicians, journalists, authors, but also adventurers, SAS soldiers, 
Um, one of the most fascinating guests we have is a, a death row campaign or an anti-death row campaign, or I should say, that works largely in the States. And I interview these people about their lives through travel. So it's not just about where you went on your holidays. We've got people hanging out with Castro watching TV at three o'clock wow. in the morning because that's what he liked to do. We've got people going to meet Saddam Hussein in Iraq. We've got the death row guy I was talking about traveling to all the death rows across America and hanging out with the darkest criminals and actually defending them. And and also, also people uh, like this journalist I had called Charlie Webster who died when she went to the Rio Olympics. She died of malaria and was brought back to life, you know, <gasps> aggressively resuscitated. So we've got these wonderful stories of people traveling and experiencing life, you know, real life and death situations. And of course, having lovely, amazing holidays in the Seychelles or the Maldives or climbing mountains and doing these in in incredible challenges. And so, yeah, it's just exploring their life stories, their life stories and their travels at the same time. What's the name of the podcast? It's called The Big Travel Podcast. So that if people want to listen to it, they just go to The Big Travel Podcast. You can go to thebigtravelpodcast.com. We have a load of listeners in the States. I think it's 48 states now, and it's just a couple in the middle at the top that I'd like to get listeners there before we get. I think it might be, yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's 48 now that we've got. So uh, go to thebigtravelpodcast.com. Of course, I'm on iTunes, Spotify, and it's all for free. That's the wonderful thing about many podcasts is you can just get on there and be transported away. Well, do you have any, uh, do you have any examples of either from one of your guests or from you where traveling made a difference and where traveling where somebody might have had a stereotype or there's something that they didn't know that they learned through travel. I've got many examples of this. I mean, some quite funny, a well-known presenter here in the UK, Paul Ross was mugged on a beach in Rio and someone took his trousers, which was quite a revelation because you wonder, it's like, hey, well, like, you know, are you, are you that desperate that you want my trousers? Um, and many, but one of the, the most um, significant examples, I was on a program on the BBC Radio 4 here, they did a review of my podcast and the uh, episode they chose to showcase was one that I thought wasn't going to be our most, uh, you know, sort of downloaded um, episodes, but it was this lady called Raina Wynn and she'd written a book about her experience of becoming homeless. And she was a very normal middle-class lady. Her and her husband had a, a cottage uh, that they rented out and they had little Airbnb sort of type uh, properties on the cottage, on the farm rather, in, in um, the southwest of England, in Devon or Cornwall it might have been. And one day because of a bad business judgment and a court case, they lost their house and they wow. lost absolutely everything they owned and their house was their business and they had nowhere to go. Within that same week, her husband, who's actually called Moth, um, was diagnosed. He had this bad shoulder. They kept on thinking, oh, I must go to the doctors about. And he went to the doctors and was expected to be told, you've got a bad shoulder, take some painkillers. And he was actually told he had a wasting disease and only had a short amount of time for, to live. So they set off, the two of them, walking and walking and walking. They weren't even 50 by this point. They were, they were still, you know, relatively young. And they had nothing else to do. So they, they started to walk something called the Southwest Coast Path, which is a path that runs the beautiful, beautiful, but very windswept and exposed coastline all around the southwest corner of England. And the adventures that they have on their way, camping, you know, with only a tiny tent between them at the Atlantic, you know, all this extreme 
weather and the wonderful people they meet and the, the not so good people they meet they meet lots of other homeless people and they're judged by people who assume that they're homeless and you know sort of throw coins at them into the gutter scrabbling around in the gutter for coins and just these wonderful adventures that they have along the way that's been one of my um, most most uh, interesting episodes and also most downloaded most popular ones and I think it changed her of course that journey and experience would would change you and that's actually one that she had at home but when she had had lost her home and I think also stories make a difference I I did a webinar last year for an organization on uh, I think it was on story share, how to how to create global relationships through story sharing and I didn't even think the webinar was that good because I looked at other webinars people had done and, and I was comparing my webinar to their webinar and how fancy their their PowerPoint was and oh I wish I could do that so after I did the webinar I was thinking oh well at least I did the webinar well it turns out I got an email from them that was the most popular webinar that they did all year because it was about sharing stories and it had people share stories across cultures so I think that what you're doing can make a really big difference sharing telling these stories absolutely and that's always what I'm after on the podcast I'm always after the wonderful stories so it's not like hey I went to Australia I had a really good time it's like I was in the middle of Australia and you know this happened and they and, and that's what I really tried to eke out of my guests is these incredible stories and there are so so many that I've managed to uh, to, to eke out of them and you were you're half Fijian and half and uh, Indian Fijian because I know there's a lot of Indians in Fiji correct that's right yes I'm half Indian Fijian and half English but I grew up in Spain so I've had travel in my blood from the, I think I first went on my first holiday when I was six weeks old to a rainy caravan in Wales and it wasn't much of a positive experience for my mum, but I think that it's, uh, you know, travel is in my blood. But you're right about the Indian Fijians. In uh, Fiji, like India, was a British colony. And the when slavery was abolished, the British, bless them, needed another way of getting cheap labor. And they invented something called the indentured labor system, whereby in total they transported what turned out to be a total of about three million Indian people to various places around the world. And Fiji was one of them. And of course, Ceylon and Ghana and Kenya. And this is why you go to these places in, in Africa and, and um and uh, South America and the Caribbean, when there's a lot of, in and, and of course, the South Pacific, where there's a lot of, in there's a big Indian population. It's because the British transported them there to work under terrible conditions. They were abused, they were lied to. They thought, my great grandparents thought that it was gonna take three days to get to India and they'd be given you know proper jobs. And actually it took six months, including the quarantine. And they were, you know, there was a 10% death rate. There was rape and pillage and murder and they were, living in these sort of grass huts and it was really not what they signed up for but like a lot of indian people do everywhere they they made a life for it and made it you know after you know a few trials and tribulations made made it work so my dad is actually born in 1939 was second generation i oh know sorry his grandparents so third generation um indian fijian and indian fijians still make up a, a large percent of the population of fiji now and you, you talk about being mixed race. What has been your personal experience being a mixed race person in the UK? 
Now, this is a very good question, and I've been trying to mull this over knowing I was going to talk to you. I think largely it's been positive, and I don't, this gets into a whole can of worms in terms of shadism, because I'm reasonably, you can tell I'm brown, you know, you can tell I'm something. Wherever I travel in the world, people think I belong there, sort of South America or North Africa or India. Um, you know, people think that I, I kind of look like them because I can look many different nationalities. I think largely it's been an okay experience. We are overall quite good with immigration and multiculturalism here uh, in the UK, notwithstanding recent events and, you know, things like the Brexit vote and, uh, you know, a bit of racism uh, connected to that and also a bit of racism and prejudice because of terrorist attacks and that sort of thing. Um, but my parents had it very hard. When my dad first came over to England, it was in the early 60s and he'd been champion boxer of Fiji. Wow. Way. And yeah, he was a really, it was wow. a really good looking, dashing, cool. dashing guy. Very like black, black, black skin, but straight hair. So Indian, but mm -hmm. people, people would call him a, a black, a Negro, I guess at the time was probably the word. Colored was the words they used for it. it. None of these words are good now in the UK. In the UK, we're okay to say black, Asian, brown, but not uh, yeah, here Negro too. or colored. Yes. And um, but so they would have thought he was a, a colored person and he got very badly received in many ways. I mean, my own grandparents wouldn't go to the wedding of my <gasps> dad and but very well received. I've asked him, he, he ended up in Liverpool when the swinging 60s were about to kick off. They used to go and see the Beatles at lunchtime playing in the Cavern Club. And in terms of the, the youth, he said he, he felt like a rock star, you know, because he was so unusual. And him and his best friend, David, were these two very good looking, dark, dark Indian guys. And, um, you know, that was very good. But my mum has stories about going to rent a place to live, you know, rent a room to live when they had very little money when they were starting off. And they'd phone from a phone box around the corner and they'd say, yes, yes, the room's still available. And when my mum, you know, lovely, very good looking, again, 60s, she got married in a white leather sort of mini skirt, very sort of 60s British. Um, when she turned up, they were fine. But when they saw my dad, they were like, oh no, sorry, the, the, the room has, has gone. So they experienced a lot of prejudice. Um, my experience has been much less so, but I think prejudice works in many ways, you know, whether you're of a different race or whether you're a woman or whether you're from a different, um, you know, like a different class. And I think that sort of prejudice starts early. It starts very early and is sometimes unspoken or even even subconscious. People don't necessarily know it. So I've managed to do, you know, reasonably well for myself, but they, I guess at some point there have been, you know, a, a few sort of prejudiced things that have, might have worked against me. Well, also you talked about being lighter skinned and I know here in the United States that also makes a difference. Like you have uh, people who are, who are Latino or people who are from India, if they're lighter skinned, they do have it easier because the lighter you are, the easier you have it. I'm, I'm not saying in every single situation, but, yes, but there are times when it's definitely, I guess you would say, an, it can be an economic and living, being able to live your life advantage, an automatic advantage, the lighter skin you are. You don't have to, I mean, there, there's been, go ahead. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I've seen this myself when I was in because I've traveled around the States a lot and I'm a, a massive fan and my brother even lives in, in Los Angeles. And when I was last in L.A., um, he was talking to I was talking to his neighbor at a party and there's, the neighbor were quite well, sort of, you know, in their 60s, which isn't a, a good excuse, by the way. They, they were in their 60s. Right, 60s, so not old. I'm in my 60s. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's not a good. They they should know better from what I'm about to to tell you. Um, so they were they were talking about their previous tenants and they were saying, you know, oh, they left the t- place in a terrible mess and and something like that. And then she leant forward to me and you know sort of put her hand around my ear and went, they were African American. <laughs> and I'm like, what? This is not this is not relevant. You know, why are you even telling me this? And in England, this necessarily. I don't know whether that would have been said. I don't know whether it was just them because they're stupid or whatever, but it was really, I didn't really know what to say after that. I just sort of ignored her. But I think one of another guest I had on my podcast who's this black DJ called Fabio. He plays jungle, drum and bass, some really good uh, dance music. And he's very famous, he's very well known, he travels the world over. He said his cousin, when he came over here to England and was like going out to the pub or the bars or restaurants or whatever with Fabio, he lives in, in New York actually, which I thought would have been more sort of mixed and my experience is that it is when I go over there. But um, he said, wow, so you guys like, you know, socialize together and Fabio's like, yeah, you know, meaning like him as a black person and other people as white people. And his cousin was saying, well, you know, in, in New York, his cousin's experience was that you'd, you'd work with people and get on and everything's fine at work. But then when you go home, you know, they, you're not in the same bar necessarily, which I thought, I don't know if that's your experience. Um, it's not my experience here in England, but I'm, I can't really, I, I can't, I haven't thought about it enough when I go to the States. I haven't been for a few years. Next time I go, I'll, I'll hang around the bars and see, see, you know, sort of do an assessment, a color assessment and see, see how mixed it is. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. And I think that's true depending on who you are, how you raise, where you raise. But there, but there is that, that people can work together. And I always ask people, like when I do workshops, I go, what's your life like in terms of diversity when you're not at work? And oftentimes when people say when they go home, they're only around people like themselves and then they'll give an excuse. Yeah, but that's because I'm so busy. Well, I'm busy too, but that's not my life and that's not the life of the people that I know. But also at work, there are issues. I've done, some of my clients have brought me in because people are still in silos. So you may have a an organization of people from different of different colors and race and backgrounds and gender and all of that. But inside the workplace, oftentimes they are in silos. They don't really interact, which really that's you lose a lot of brain power when that happens. And I know here in the, another thing that happens here in the United States, I was talking to another guest who actually is from Ghana, but he was, he was taught British English. So he sounds British. And he said that he has a certain kind of privilege because of the racism here against a lot of the racism against African-Americans and that when he starts talking and people hear his British accent, he gets like a pass. So they'll go, oh, no, well, you're not like all those others. Okay, you must be different. And so he, he gets a pass. But of course, with the way racism is in the United States, and I'm not... I'm not disparaging everybody here in the United States. Please don't think that. But if you look at uh, statistics, that if you're white and you're walking down the street at night 
And if you're black and you're walking down the street at night, people are going to be more fearful. White people will be more fearful of you if you're black. But you're more likely to have the cops called on you if you're black just living your life. And I don't know if you've followed what's going on in the United States. I know it's been going on for years, but now with the Internet, we're seeing a lot more people of color and particularly black people who are having the police called on them. And in fact, there was some an older man from India. The police were called on him because somebody thought that he was a stranger walking around the neighborhood and she was suspicious. So she called the police. The police came. He did not speak English. He didn't understand. He was visiting his son. He didn't understand what they were saying. They beat him up so badly because in their minds, they saw him as a black person who's just ignoring them. It's just, it's just horrible. And yes, we, the, the whole world, I'm sure, is aware of what's going on and, you know, the, the police violence and everything. And again, we're not generalizing. This is not all police, but they are so gun happy. You know, we don't have that problem here. And it's just shocking. That could be my dad walking around that neighborhood, my 80-year-old, really nice, friendly dad who just happens to have black skin and is walking around the wrong neighborhood not even the wrong neighbor just walking down the street and how can that even be suspicious and i've heard um you know many stories like that the recent case in the security guard was it in new york you know and and also actually recent today in fact i heard a story like that in the paper here in england where a lady and her black husband a white lady and her black husband were i think they put out the bins for their neighbors and the call the, the police were called because they were you know it's just it's just ridiculous how it's even got to this point it really is and i don't know i don't know what the the way back is i mean for a start like put your gun down that's you know what we think when we look at the state and the, the massive gun problem which you know extends to the police as well it's shocking yeah and of course there's some really great police we're not saying we're not putting down all cops but there has been many issues around race and people getting shot and we have got to to recognize that I, I read this, I don't know if you've read it uh, or if you're aware of a lady called June Sarpong. She's a, a lovely English journalist and presenter, quite high profile over here. She's Ghanaian, her background's Ghanaian, and she does a lot of work. She did a lot of work with Barack Obama. She does a lot, a lot of work in the States, but she's had this brilliant book out recently called Diversify. And I hope to get her on my podcast. I did interview her for someone else's podcast a few weeks ago. But in the book Diversify, and as a black woman, you know, she, she talks about her own experiences, but also her own prejudices. And what I was, the, the one thing I found very interesting is she said, we've got to speak to the other. And you know to you to you and i that might be a, a surprising other because i do speak to you know black asian gay mixed race every you know any color creed and religion i've got muslim friends here in, in the uk um i do speak to all those and i and then so you know that is not the other to me the other to me is is the racist or is the extreme conservative or is the um, apologies to Trump supporting Americans, but is the Trump supporter that is the that is the other person to me? And how would you? The, the, it was a very interesting question. It's like you know, your your disparents that say, "Oh, I don't want my daughter marrying a black man or my son bringing home a you know Chinese person or whatever." But what it <laughs> made me question when my sons are older, if they bring home like a very a sort of 
very religious or conservative or something that was the other to me like how would i feel about that how would the dinner table conversations be when they're supporting the trump of their time and i'm you know completely in the other direction and it really made me question my prejudices as well well i think that it's goes beyond prejudice i mean because what you said brought up a couple of things for me one is that the values that you teach your children because if somebody is a very right-wing racist or left-wing racist or any kind of racist, you've taught your children. Your children have grown up in a mixed-race home. You've been, they've been brought up around people of all different backgrounds. You've taught them certain values. So there's, the chances are much slimmer that your child is going to bring home someone who thinks that way. But at the same, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead, sorry. I was gonna say, but on the other hand, in terms of talking to the other, I think it's important. And now here in the United States, there's a lot of people who I think are kind of, I guess a lot of them are sort of like left, leftist. And I'm not saying a bad thing about leftists, but a lot of these people are people who would be more on the left. And they tend, and some of them are too elite in that they look down on people in other parts of the country and they make assumptions about how they think and why they think that way without knowing. And I was telling somebody the other day that it's much easier that it's much easier for me to talk to a white person who doesn't have a college education, who maybe is from a part of the country where they're not around a lot of people of color, but they have some issues around economics or other issues around healthcare. I said, it's easy for me to talk to those people because I can relate and I can connect. And I think that, at least here in the United States, there's too much, not only of elitism, but an assumption, I'm perfect, I've always been perfect, I never say the wrong thing, so if you say the wrong thing, I'm going to put you down, I'm not going to educate you. Uh, that's a problem. We have exactly the same. We have exactly the same here with London. You know, the Northerners, and I am a Northerner by birth, um, will accuse London of being too London-centric. But then this is where the money is and the business is, and then that in turn is is a problem. And also, interestingly, with the the left and, and right issue, the people that were the left wing wing, you know, rebels, you know, in the '60s that were fighting the establishment and doing great things, they have actually now become the establishment. So they are you know, disliked by other people for, you know, not you know, like you talk about, you know, a, a bit elitist behavior. Of course, they didn't start off elitist, but when once you, you do have the money and you have that ease and comfort, you know, some people do let their values go. You've got to hope, hope that everyone sort of that has what, good values, whether they're left, right or center or whatever, holds onto them. But people do change as they as they become, you know, the people they turn from the people who are, are st- struggling and fighting for something to the people at the top. Yeah, and I'm not saying that all Trump supporters are racist, but there are a lot of racist Trump supporters. And there are some people who voted for Trump for economic reasons and now would not vote for him again. You can replace the word Trump with the word, with the word Brexit over here. I'm yeah. sure you know what's happening with Brexit, but for those people who don't, in June 2016, we had a vote whether the UK wanted to leave 
the European Union. So Brexit is Britain exit. That's where it comes from. It's a terrible word. But people voted to leave the European Union, which was a dreadful shock to those of us who are travelers and, you know, class ourselves as European. I class myself as European as well as English, as well as, you know, half Indian Fijian. I class myself as all, you can be all of those things. And um, so it was a nasty shock. And it was only a bit like the Trump situation. There was only a tiny, tiny majority in favor of leaving it was something like 1.2 million wow. and although a lot of people did turn out to vote you know a lot of people were apathetic and nobody ever thought it would happen not even the leave voters and this is the problem i know people that said oh i'll vote leave mix it up a bit you know when they actually didn't really realize the consequences of, of voting leave and now we're in this crazy situation where theresa may the prime minister who herself is a conservative and voted to remain it the, the lines between left and, and right are completely blurred as well it's sort of they're, they're on equal sides of the leave and, and, and the remain. And she's trying to get a deal through Parliament to to see us trade with our Europe, Europe which, is, you know, let's be honest, there are like greatest, closest neighbours and there's a lot of money there. There are 27 nations plus yeah. we don't want to like cut off trade with them. Agreements as a travel journalist, I know that the airline industry in particular are terrified there's no agreement after march the 29th to fly to european skies you know theoretically our planes could be grounded and anyway so she's trying to push through this deal and they're voting this week on theresa may's deal and if theresa may's deal doesn't happen then we'll be leaving the eu which i think is a huge mistake anyway without any deal whatsoever so it's quite terrifying and i'm sure there are people out there i, I see people out there on social media who regret their vote. I also see lots of people going, yeah, let's get through as, you know, let's do it quickly as much as possible. I think, what do you know? You know, you're a, a, whoever you are, you, what do you know? Because I don't know. The government don't even know. Why are you saying, you know, some mechanic from Essex, why are you saying, yes, let's get out as soon as possible? You don't know. I'm not saying I know, but you don't know either. <laughs> right. Right. And a lot of times people, people say, oh, I, I did this to mix it up, but then they mix it up and it's mixed down to them. I want to ask you, so how do, I mean, I know we have our issues in the United States around race, and even though we're a multicultural country, there are many times when people do have contact with each other, but there are also times when they don't. How do people, and, and I, I know this is a generalization, but overall, what's the climate in terms of how British people look about at race and and how do you and about conversations about race i mean is there like here we often have people say yes we have to have a conversation about race and we're having more different kinds of conversations about race what's going on in the uk well first of all we've got brexit which i was talking about which i think one of the main reasons that brexit happened was because people saw Germany letting in a lot of refugees from Syria and from the Middle East in general. And Angela, Angela Merkel let in about a million refugees. And this hasn't been spoken about here for a long time, but I personally saw that that was a turning point for some people turning against the EU because they realized, well, if those people get German citizenship, then they can, you know, they're free to, to come and, and live in the UK as well under EU uh, law of free of free movement. So I think that was one, there was an undercurrent of racism. And like you said about Trump supporters, not every Trump supporter is a racist. Of course they're not, but there were a lot of racists that voted for Trump. And it's exactly the same with Brexit. There were a lot of 
racist people who saw those people with brown faces and the campaign that Nigel Farage the the main guy who was campaigning for to rest to leave the EU was just hideous he it was really awful you know it really was it was it was very very unsavory and actually it's been found to, to have um, some of the leave campaign have been found to, to have employed illegal tactics as well um, so we have that whole now we're in the middle of this whole Brexit thing so people would say that Brexit isn't about race because we're talking about Euro Europeans coming here who are supposedly white but if, I think that whole influx of immigrants uh, and refugees was was something to do with it on a day-to-day -day basis here in London it's fine you know there's there's areas where there's a lot of Asian people a lot of Muslims there's areas that are predominantly black but I feel quite happy going into all of those and so do all of my friends you know particularly the young people that's where a lot of the great food is a lot of the great markets and I think on a generally on a day-to-day -day basis um, you know we, we all get on well there is a, a problem with knife crime in gangs in London but when I say a problem we're not talking anything near on the comparative scale um, of, of the gun problem in, in, in the US. Um, you know, several people, young people this year have been knifed to death and the majority of those are young black youths. Now, any racist could use that for, um, you know, use that against, uh, as you know, a point in saying, well, it's all black people, yet black youths involved in this. But of course, you and I know that there's a whole history as to why that might be, including poverty and immigration and lack of social mobility and all of those usual things we know exactly you know it, it, what what's gone on there it's not because of the color of their skin so there is that situation but we don't generally see it on a day-to-day -day basis because it's kept it's confined to the gangs you know not just areas but the gangs it's it's between them you know gangs and and drug dealers and then of course you know we've had terrorist attacks where the last one was about a year and a half ago where someone drove into people in Borough Market, I think was the most recent one, or it might have been on one of the bridges. There's been about four or five when car attacks have happened and four or five or six people have died in those. And that's been absolutely hideous. And of course, that is in the name of terrorism and people supporting ISIS. So they are Muslims or people that have adopted the Muslim faith. But we know, the normal people know, you know, we, I've got friends living three doors down who are Muslims and they're just normal people. In fact, the people that, are, you know, we're really serious about their religion. One of my good friends who I had on the podcast, actually, Emdad Rahman, is a Muslim man and he did dedicates his life to charity. And I'm not just talking about charity helping Muslim people. He's out there on the streets every day feeding the homeless he's he's raising money as a muslim man he's raising money for the rohingya women refugees wow. who have to have sanit sanitary products because he's aware that they don't have sanitary products you know so there's just nice people out there doing these things so all in all on a day-to-day -day basis we get on fine particularly here in london because we're used to multiculturalism if you go out to the smaller villages and everything and i did say i'm from the north and they are the people that are most likely to vote for Brexit, but also the people that have fewer immigrants and fewer different cultures and, and different colors living around them. So it's this, it's this strange paradox, but I think that happens in the States as well, I'm guessing. Well, did, have you ever had, had this happen that, because you said that you're light-skinned and people think that you could be almost anything, people not knowing about your family of origin, not knowing that your father actually had black skin, 
Do you ever have people say racist things around you? I've only, luckily I don't have many racist people around me. I mean, it's just not the, I know, I know that you weren't talking about that, but it's just not, you know, it doesn't really happen that often in London. But I can only think of one episode in my whole life where that has happened sort of accidentally. And I don't even think it was accidentally, but I had a meeting with an agent, a presenter agent in a high profile, the Groucho Club, a very nice Soho, you know, trendy private members club here. And he, I remember saying, I was talking about my Indian Fijian heritage and I was like saying, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm very much English. I've been brought up here, you know, talking about that side. And I said, oh, I'm, it was a joke. I said, yeah, I'm about as Indian as you are, but it was a joke. And he said, yeah, everyone calls me a P word, which in, I don't know how you, uh, receive the p word in the states but here it's really it's like the n word you you really don't say it i know they, they use it quite liberally in australia and they use it as a nice in a nice way mm -hmm. uh, as nice as it can be in a chummy way but here it's like you know the p word and the n word are on the same line and he actually used that towards me and i i sort of laughed along with him and just thought oh my god because you don't know what to say in those instances do you and now maybe that i'm a little bit older i would have said hang on you know a bit like the whole hashtag me too movement when you're a bit younger and someone's in a position of power and you just sort of laugh and let them go along with it. Maybe that was a bad analogy, but you know what I mean. No, um, I, I do. I mean, and, and that's an issue oftentimes when if you're a person of color or if you're LGBT or if you're something that's not in like the dominant culture in that at that particular place and somebody makes a joke and if you're the only one and you you haven't even thought about what to say in advance, oftentimes people will say nothing and then the other person will say, oh, it must be okay because they didn't say anything. When in fact, that person could have been intimidated, they were worried about losing their job, they were worried about their economic security, their physical security, and they just didn't know what to do, which is why I think it's important for people to like know in advance, what would you say if? So if this happens again, what would you say? Absolutely. And I think that's something that we're all guilty of. You know, you, you sort of laugh to yourself, don't you? If, you? if you're in a group and someone said something that you thought was vaguely, you know, not very politically correct, uh, you, you just sort of, the tendency would be to look, catch the eye of someone who you think might agree with you and sort of pull a face or laugh or whatever. But increasingly, I think people are, are speaking out and pulling each other up on it. And actually, I see that as, a, as something as a more American thing to do, which is a nice thing, because you have much more confidence than we do. Americans, well, some people. I mean, you do. I, some. people, maybe some. The people that we speak to, maybe, I guess that's sort of a natural selection of volunteer sort of bias. But the people we speak to, you seem to have a lot more confidence at speaking out and speaking in public and speaking on the radio and TV and those sort of things. Than, than, than we have here. I don't know if that's uh, something that you, you would agree on. Well, I think that's what you see in the UK, but not necessarily, which is why it's so important that for here in the United States and, and anywhere in the world, really, if you hear somebody say something about another group, it's important to say something and not assume that that other person will say something because they might be intimidated. So if like, if I, I mean, I just remember, this is 24 years ago, 25 years ago, when, uh, when LGBT was not considered at the diversity table and there were people who were making lots of LGBT jokes. And, um, and I'm gay and I was at a, a, a conference, a big conference. 
and somebody got up on this. It was a multicultural. It was a. It was around multiculturalism. And somebody got up and made an an LGBT joke, an anti-gay joke. And at the time, I didn't know anybody at this conference, but for some reason, and everybody started laughing. There were like maybe three people near me that didn't laugh. We all looked at each other. We all vibed on each other. Now, if it was today, I would have said something. And actually, the person who organized that conference that many years ago has now become one of the lar- one of my largest LGBT supporters. But at the time, but now when I hear somebody say something, I'll always I'll always speak out, no matter what. I mean, not no matter what, but but if if you're talking to me, I'll I'll always say something, and you probably would say something now. Am I right or am I wrong? I am. You're absolutely right uh, now, and I, you know, we, you know, I can definitely draw parallels with the Me Too movement. Is that, you know, I don't know if it, we're, we've all grown older, but it, the times have changed, and it's like we're not gonna, we don't need to put up with that crap anymore. You know, you, yeah, you, you can, you can speak out, and I hope that it's not just you know, people like you and I who clearly read and, you know, take interest in the news and have that sort of awareness that are, that are doing it. I hope it's everyone, you know, I, unfortunately, I believe that there'd be a lot of people that are still, you know, suffering that sort of abuse in some way. I'm not talking more serious forms of abuse, though obviously the Me Too and prejudice can be serious. Um, but uh, I hope there's lots of people speaking out in all echelons of society. And it's not just us who have, you know, I was certainly from a very working class background. My dad didn't have shoes until he was seven, but I've been the first person to go to university i'm a journalist i am now one of the middle class and i will speak out i'm yes. just hoping that people from all walks of life are beginning to to speak out more and you have a, and and you're really well known and you have a lot of influence so when you say something a lot of people will listen to you yeah you know I'd say I'm a Z list on the celebrity there. I don't know about really well known in some circles I am, but yeah, people do, people do listen. And you know, there's a certain amount of responsibility that comes with that. But I think we've all got that responsibility, yes, uh, you know, to to a certain extent. And we we should use it, use it wisely. Just just use it, <laughs> speak out, and, and don't let people get away with you know any sort of prejudice or any sort of abuse like that or any sort of putting you down and making you feel uncomfortable yeah because if you don't say anything they think that you agree with them if they don't say anything you think that they agree with you and also the people next to you like the people you were at the conference you know if you don't share that look uh you think that they might agree with you and i think that is more prevalent in at, at now than ever with the you know the worrying rise of, of very extreme prejudice from the far right yeah and other sources this is now you know the time where we need to sort of speak out more than ever again going back to brexit and to trump and i know like i said i'm sure there's some great trump supporters out there but with and brexit as well you know i do have friends that it's a bit of a civil war here at the moment in, in england because families and friends have fallen out but you know i'm still just about speaking to them you know it's it's more important than ever that we do speak out and we vote as well it's more so important voting is so tied up into that because if we don't the the people that you know the same people the majority that kind of stay silent because they're okay and happy with the status quo if we don't get out there and make our opinion heard it's the people who are fighting that status quo that might have some good reasons behind it but might have some also quite nefarious reasons behind it it's the people that they are the people that will get their voices heard exactly and and here too i mean if you don't vote don't talk to me 
That's how I feel. Yeah, yeah uh, definitely. And you had, we talked about in our emails about diversity in the media. And what what's it like in the UK in terms of diversity in the media? Uh, that's another very interesting question. When I look at, um, at the US, depending on what sort of news channel I'm watching, I think that uh, the US is actually quite good with diversity from what I see in the media. I see a lot of people of different colors um, presenting, except on Fox News where everyone seems to be blonde. And, <laughs> um, I don't know if it's a prerequisite to be blonde. I just thought I don't, I don't watch Fox News that often, well, at all. But I saw an article recently where they had this uh, it was in the newspaper and they had every single blonde presenter on Fox News and there was about 30 <laughs> something all lined up. It was like some weird utopian, you know, sort of post, ap ap oh, I can't even say the words, ap apocalyptic society. But um, I didn't say it that right. That's, um, did I? Apocalyptic. Um, apocalyptic, thank you. Thank you. Um, in the media here, yeah, I mean, roads, inroads have been made to making it more diverse and but a lot of the time you get you know like you get the you get the older male presenter and the prettier young female presenter together and it just it grates a little bit i think there's been um there's been a, a big thing about equal pay in the media and particularly in the bbc the bbc prides itself and i've worked there many times and on being equal and fair and everything and actually they were really quite bad with the gender pay gap so that's a, a campaign that's been spearheaded by a, a very lovely lady including her and lots of other people called Jane Garvey she was on she's the presenter of BBC Radio 4's Women's Hour which is a very popular program it's been running for decades and she was on my podcast we had a great chat about her travels and uh, her work but she she was sort of spearheading this gender pay gap fight and I think some inroads have been made um, with colour as well and also with regional differences um, such as people with different regional accents and you know northerners, English, Irish, Scottish, Welsh and you know people from Birmingham all sorts of, of different people there, there has been there have been some inroads made but there's definitely a lot more work to be done. Well, you know, I have so many more questions I would love to ask you and I know that the time is getting late and you've got to put your kids to sleep uh, but I, but yeah, you had mentioned that you did work in music, right? I did. I worked in my very first job before I uh, before I went into events and then journalism. I only trained as a journalist when I was twenty nine, and I can't work out the maths. I'm forty four now. Some, however, many years ago, and it's quite a few. And um, I did work very briefly in music for a couple of years. But music is my passion, and actually, in the pod on the podcast, I always ask my very last question. Or people and it always really stumps them is uh, if you had to think of one song that reminded you of a place or travel a special memory when traveling what song would that be and it often really stumps people but it really makes them come up with some great stories as we were talking about storytelling storytelling because they'll say right well I, I remember this time I was on the beach and that you know and this and, and describe something fabulous happening and a song that, that cemented that memory. Uh, so yeah, I did work in music. I worked with Harvey Goldsmith for a while. He's like the, probably the biggest mu music promoter we've ever had. He's done Live Aid and all the very famous wow. um, big, big bands. And But then I accidentally, you know how this happens? I accidentally fell into corporate events from music. And it was, I did five years in corporate events, which was great fun. I did get to travel the world, but I was like, this is, I don't want to be corporate. I want to be music or media or something more exciting than corporate. So it was that at that point after five, years in corporate events 
that, that I went and retrained as a, as a journalist to sort of get back onto that sort of more creative band that music, you know, was on, that I was on in the first place. Well, I find that really interesting because I love music. Everybody who knows me know I'm obsessed with music. I listen to all genres. I mean, all genres uh, from, and all over the world. And I've noticed I love the collaborations between across race. Like there's a lot of collaborations across race now. And I know we have people in the US who collaborate with people in the UK. There's a lot of hip hop artists who collaborate globally. And I love that. Me too. I really like that. And I love that it brings such a richness to the music. It's not just about diversity of color and culture. It's about diversity of sound. I, I read this great um, thing where Paul McCartney collaborated not so long ago with Kanye West. Yes. <laughs> and there was this great thing on Twitter where loads of young people were saying, God, it's great of Kanye West to bring in that old guy, you know, give him a chance. You never know. He might be, a, he might get some like publicity out of it. And people were going, that's Paul McCartney. That's, he's one of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was great. I love that. I, yeah. I saw that too. Uh, that was a song. I think Rihanna was on that song too. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm going to turn this interview on its on its head right now. And if I was to say to you, because you sound like you're very well travelled and you love your music, if I was to ask you, were to ask you, what your favourite song, not favourite song in the world, but a song that reminded you of a special memory or time of place or tra of travel, what would it be? I think, even though. I'd have to think about this. Okay, let me think because I really love all me. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, years ago, when I first went to London, I went to Ronnie Scott's and I saw Stanley Tarantine and the song Don't Mess With Mr. T. It's always been one of my favorite songs since then. Ah, uh, there you go. Everyone, call, everyone always comes up. They go, oh, no, I can't think of anything. They go, yeah, bingo. It's a really, uh, it's a, it always tells some really nice stories about people yeah and i remember and and now i mean i listen to hip i listen to a lot of hip-hop now too i listen to all kinds of music yeah but i but i love i love jazz i love blues i love world music i love you need to listen to my brother's band my brother lives in la his name is marcus nand and he plays in a band his, his own band is called Zerok. now all the people in his band are people that uh, Carmine Rojas, who was uh, David Bowie's um, bassist for a long, long time, and did all the really big tours and recorded with him, and then Rod Stewart's uh, bassist for a long time, all the people that are the very well-known session musicians, some of the best session musicians in the world, choose to play with my brother when they're like on their on their own, you know, on their own time. This is what they choose to do. So my brother plays a lot of Spanish guitar. He was on Rod Stewart's recent album wow. to record it in Rod Rod's living room in LA and you know sort of got brought a cup of tea by Rod's wife Penny because they're all very British they have tea and biscuits and that sort of thing and um, so they play the most amazing when you said world music it's sort of they sing in English and Spanish and it's Spanish guitar they've got um, Maisa Cara who's a Lebanese singer very famous Lebanese singer and it's it's Arabic it's flamenco it's rock it's all this sort of swirling amazing wow violin and guitar and drums and it's a really really amazing sound so if you're ever in LA drop in and see Marcus at, uh, I'm sure he'll I will you to one of his kids. my son's in LA my son's studying acting in LA he's in um so I would love what now what's the name of the group 
Marcus, he's, he's Marcus Nand, N-A-N-D, like my surname, and his group is Xerox. Um, he, he releases mainly things under Xerox, Z-I-R-O-Q. Um, but if you have a look online, okay. like on YouTube and everything, the music is just like, wow, it really takes you away. Of course, it's quite niche, so he's not like, you know, on top of the pops or whatever you have over there. He's not on in the, uh, in the top 20, but um, it's really proper musicianship and really quite evocative of, of travel and different cultures. And I would love good. to, because it sounds a little bit like Manu Chao. Yes, it is a bit. I love Manu Chao. I love Manu Chao. But it's a bit, it's a bit livelier than Manu Chao. Not, not everything, but Manu Chao. I would Chow love it. And, but you, I think you, if you like Manu Chao, you'd, you'd really like him. Definitely, he's, uh, he's very. He's actually, he tours a lot in uh, Mexico with some big um, Mexican singers, and he's in Argentina for the week as we speak as well. Wow. He well, gets about a bit as well. Yeah. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to tell my son to look for him too, because my son's down there, and my son loves all different kinds of music. Oh, lovely. Yes, I'm sure. He went to Musicians Institute of Technology. That's how he ended up in, in L.A., in Hollywood, and has, has stayed there ever since. Wow. Well, that's how my son ended up in L.A. now, studying acting. He graduates from UC Irvine uh, in a couple of months. And then what he's... What he want to do? And then he's off to hit because he wants to be an actor. I mean, he's really into... He wants to be, he wants to be a film actor. He'll do any acting, but he wants... His, his love is film, but he'll do any acting he can. I mean... You know, oh, when I wish you him first all the luck. <laughs> it's a great industry if you can do well in it. And, and acting and music and all those creative things are just, you know, such great fun. As long I, as you can earn some money from it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because, hey, I'm getting old. He's going to have to start helping his, his, his elderly parent out. <laughs> I can't wait till my boys are supporting me. Yeah. <laughs> my, parents still, my parents are still waiting, though. So. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm from that culture, too, where your parents get old, you help your parents. So I'm looking at the time, and I know I know you have to go. And I'd like to, a couple of things. One is, would you repeat the name of your podcast, and also tell people how to reach you, and if you have any last words, any last message. Okay, my podcast is the Big Travel Podcast, and you can reach it at the Big Travel We're also on Twitter at Big Travel Pod, on Instagram at the big travel podcast i'm lisa francesca nand so on twitter i am at lf nand and on instagram i am lisa underscore travel and more and i love to oh we've got facebook groups as well i love to chat to people and i get a lot of reviews from on itunes uh, from the podcast from people in the states and it always like makes me feel so happy to learn that people are out there finding the podcast they're not people i've pushed it you know it's not they're not my friends that i've said please listen to my podcast and leave a review they're just people who have who have found it and sent a message so i love to uh, to hear from people and i do have some brilliant guests there talking about great journeys all over the world some of the best rail journeys all over the world incredible american road trips you know south pacific just beautiful beautiful tales of travel so it's worth you dropping in and having a listen thank you so much this is Sima, the inclusionist, with everyday conversations on race for everyday people. My amazing guest today was Lisa Francesca Nan. Um, if you want to hear more, if you'd like to hear more episodes of my of everyday conversations on race for everyday people, go to race convo convo like conversation raceconvo.com to hear more. 
and help us get the message of eliminating fear of differences and bringing people together by sharing this podcast with everyone you know who wants to stop hate and love, who wants to stop hate and spread love. Or you could go to my website at simalieberman.com. Hit me up on Twitter at The Inclusionist. Invite me to speak at your next conference meeting or event. And remember, let's keep everyday conversations on race for everyday people going. Signing off until next time, Sima Lieberman, The Inclusionist. Hey, thank you so much. Oh, that's great. I really enjoyed it. It was really lovely to talk to you. Really enjoyable. We've got, we've got lots of stuff to cover there and plenty of things to think about, hopefully. Now, do you ever get to this part of the world, like SF Bay Area? Uh, well, I have been, yes, but I'm uh, I'm coming to LA. It is my next American trip. I used to travel uh, abroad. Well, I go to Spain every six weeks, but I used to travel further afield than that a lot more regularly before I had the kids. But in November, I'm going to be in LA, and then uh, I'm going to Fiji, Australia, New Zealand, and Thailand, and several places. So I'm doing a big, big trip. But I will be in LA just for a week. I'd love to spend more time. I'd really like to sort of take the kids and go to Yosemite and those sort of things. But um, uh, not this year, but next year. But yeah, I will be in LA in, in November. So if you're around, do say hello if you're visiting your son or whatever. Well, I'll probably be down there in November because I like going down for Thanksgiving to see my son. But that's almost a year oh. away. And who knows? Exactly, yeah. if, I come to, if I come to the UK and I'm in your neighborhood, I'd oh, love yeah, to meet. Because yes. I love to meet people who were guests on my podcast. Yes, and I could introduce you to lots of people here as well. It's a, it's a good little, little good little vibe we've got on with like podcasters and things. We've got a, I don't know if you remember. Oh, I, I met you through the podcaster support group, didn't I? I think. Yes, which was it? She pod, she podcasts. She podcast. There's another really good one, which is sort of UK and uh, US. It's run by Helen Zaltzman. I don't know if you know Helen Zaltzman. She's a podcaster. She has something called the Allusionist podcast. And um, and it's called Podcasters Support Group. There's about ten thousand people on there, so that's already. I'll tell you, what, I'll just add you because we're friends on Facebook. I'll add you there. Oh, that would be wonderful. I'm trying to get in as many as I can as I can because I want to learn more. I want to yeah. grow my podcast, and I want to learn more. Absolutely, yeah, same here. Um, so when will this be going? It's obviously gone out already on a radio station, but when will it be going out to? Um, uh, let me know so I can search. Oh, absolutely. It'll either be next week or the week after next. Fine. Let me know when it does, and I'll promote it on all my channels and everything like that. Oh, that would be wonderful. And let me know any way I could promote you on my channels and on my social media. I will, absolutely, yeah, definitely. All right, I'm going to add you to this podcaster support group. I've found it now, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll speak to you soon. Yes, have a wonderful, oh, have a wonderful evening. Yes,
tastes so good. It's it's Bug Out Square. It's Tuesday at six o'clock. This week on Bug Out Square, well, huge plans, big plans. Um, I, I, it's just, it's, it's really super complicated, so I can't get into it right now. You just have to, just sit back and enjoy. This is Meet You Radio. This is Bug House Square. Welcome. A vigilante man, rainy night down in the engine house. Sleeping just as still as a mouse. Man come along and he chased us out in the rain. Was that a vigilante man? Stormy days, we'd pass the time away. Sleeping in some good warm place. Man come along and we give him a little race. Was that a vigilante man? Preacher Casey was just a working man. And he said, unite all you working men. Killed him in the river. Some strange man was that a vigilante man. Shotgun in his hand, would he shoot his brother and sister down? I rambled around from town to town. I rambled around from town to town. And they herded us around like a wild herd of cattle. Was that the vigilante men? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've heard his name all over the
Slowly sank, the loser finally 
Myself shot down. Some trigger happens to Keep a hold of my sand.
I mean, you got your, you know, get your phone work, right? Oh, that's not
Yeah, that's Queen. Wow. Um, from the, um, the Day of the Races. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. A day at the races, queen, tie your mother down, side one, cut one. There you go. That's a good one, man. Hey, how you doing? It's Bug House Square. It's, you know, uh, you probably know that by now because I've said it before. And I'll say it again. Submission, uh, mission. <laughs> it's, uh, we are on a mission, uh, basically to stay open. And it's a, it's a constant struggle for us, but I think it makes us better people. Um, you know, we always thought of like, wow, we're in the heart of, uh, you know, the tech world, right? And uh, there should be all kinds of, there's all heaps of money flowing around this town. It's like, why don't we get like a, uh, some tech company just to sponsor us, you know, and we can be, uh, you know, uh, Whatever, hyper mega ultranet radio, and all the bills would be paid. Um, and then I think about that, and it's like, ah, I don't know, you know, I, there's something about the struggle. So if you come here through the website, hit that donate button and give us a few bucks. That's really, and it goes to good use. It's not like anybody's getting rich here. It all goes to rent and utilities. And then we, we pay our dues as well and, and try to provide uh, all kinds of programming. So don't just check this out. Like Flat Black Plastic is a great show on Saturdays. Uh, it's, uh, the, the, the cat's really into good music. And it's like every show is like a performance. So he, he, check that one out, Flat Black Plastic, Saturdays. Look at that schedule. Go through the website and you can see podcasts and then they'll come up each day of the week. And uh, he's on uh, Saturday, I think, noon to two, something like that, or 10 to noon, something like that. Um, yeah, so uh, it's, been <laughs> it's, uh, it's raining, and it's been raining, and it's like, we need the rain, but I need to work, too. <laughs> it's been like, uh, well, I'm doing, you know, I'm getting stuff done, but um, nothing that's, anyway, I don't want to bore you with my, uh, you know financial woes um but it is nice to have rain because we really do need it do need it and it's it's just cool and it's, they they call them atmospheric rivers sometimes they're so they're so intense and I, that's just a great that's a great uh one of those weather terms you know some are kind of cheesy but uh atmospheric river man that is just that's just that's ominous <laughs> when you think of like the Mississippi River, like hanging over your head. Ooh. Um, let me. Uh, 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 well, let me tell you what Mutiny Radio is. It's 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 not just a radio station. No, no. It's a it's a place where you can come and hang out if you want to. If you're traveling through, I'm like, oh, I always want to go to San Francisco. Well, um, you know, if you if you do come into town, 21st in Florida, and the beautiful Mission, where it's always flat and Sometimes sunny. The time has changed, so it, it is light. But um, the sun is up, but the sky is gray. Um, let's see. And yeah, you can come in and get out of the rain. Um, we have hot water. That's all we have in the bathroom. That's, how, that's how, how we're reaching out to the community. We only have hot water. Uh, not like the service stations where they broke the knob off the hot. No, no, no. 
we broke the one off the cold. That's how we roll here. Well, let me grab these records that we just listened to. Um, All right, yeah, that was Queen. Before that, were the Kinks off uh, Muswell uh, Hillbillies, uh, 20th Century Men. Before that, uh, Bob Dylan off the Desire record, uh, Black Diamond Bay. Uh, before that, Stevie Wonder, uh, Boogie On Reggae Woman, and Santana um, off their first record. That was, uh, what was that? Uh, um, Soul Sacrifice. Now, <clears throat> I, um, I've, I've been getting into Santana. Well, I don't know. I, I, I. I like Santana and there's always like a few songs that, that were just like really good. But the other day I watched, um, it was Santana at, um, uh, Woodstock. And, you know, I mean, there's like, I know there's a movie and all, and it was, I, I've, I don't think I've ever seen <laughs> the movie. Um, but this was, a um, a clip of their song, do, uh, of them doing that song. It was, Unfucking believable. Uh, check that out. It's it's on you know the interweb. Um, Soul sacrifice. Uh, Santana, and it just blew that version away. That the 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 studio version was just like what a weird mix. It's like Carlos is buried, and you could I don't know. It was, but that was their first record. I think they were just kind of um, you know working things out. But um, and then we opened up with. Um, another train wreck <laughs> of a song. Stay tuned for Bughouse Square coming up on the hour. A very special Monday edition. If you're listening live right now, who, uh, probably not. I don't think anybody ever does this slot. So maybe you're not, it's probably, uh, 